Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. And whether this joy, excitement, and happiness is superficial, whether it is short-lived, it reminds us that the reason we need this hope, this joy, is because of what is wrong with the world. I don't know what you think is wrong with the world, but if you just look at what other people think is wrong with the world, what's wrong with the world according to the Democrats? Republicans. Did someone just yell nothing? That was amazing. What's wrong with all of the Dallas Cowboy fans? What's, you know, we look at like things and the problem is always the other camp who are different than us. But you know what's unique about Christianity? When we look at the problem in the world, you know who we should say the first problem in the world is? Me. You know what's wrong with the world is not everyone who I don't agree with, who disagrees with me. The problem with the world is me. The problem with the world, not to be mean to you on Christmas, but is you. And you need hope to overcome what is wrong with you. This is the uniqueness of Christianity. We don't look at all the other religions and say, they're the problem. We look at the world and say, we are all the problem. We all have issues. We all are in struggle. We all need joy and hope. And Christmas, for a short second in the calendar year of America, provides for most of us a little bit of like excitement and joy. But the Bible tells us the reason why the advent, the incarnation, Jesus taking on flesh, that's the word incarnation, why it is so important to the Christian story, to the story of the world, is because he actually brings what is real, what is joy, what is hope to us. And there's a passage in Hebrews chapter 2 that I want to look at quickly this morning. And it should be on the screen for you, but you can also turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 through 18. The writer of Hebrews makes four points about things that Jesus came to do. And I don't know if you can follow my structure up here or not, if that's too small. But there's two times in these phrases on the far left that the children, you and I, have flesh and blood, and Jesus is shared in our humanity. He has flesh and blood like us. And so down at the second line at the far left is, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way. So at the very outset, I just before we get into what Jesus came to do, he took on flesh. And I want you to know that he had to take on flesh. If you look at that second line, for this reason, he was obligated, the Greek word says. He was, it was absolutely necessary that he be like us in every way. Why is it so important that Jesus take on the flesh and the blood like you and me? He's going to give us four reasons why. I'd like to spend a couple minutes looking at Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. 
looking at these four things, why Jesus had to take on flesh and blood. Number one, he had to do it to share our humanity, to destroy the power of Satan. It says there that so by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death that is the devil. I don't know if you notice in that phrase, but it says that death is a power. Why does he call death a power? Here is why death is a power. Merry Christmas. We're all on a journey together to the grave, and none of us will escape it. You and I are on a journey together towards the tomb. We will all die. That is the power of death over us. Some of us get 40 years. Some of us get 10 years. Some of us get 80 years. Regardless, though, none of us in this room will actually escape death. It's impossible because death has a power. It is all in us and through us. And if we stop to think about it, which we don't, most of us are probably afraid to die. Most of us will seem brave and will answer this question. Are you afraid to die with, no, not really. Maybe a little bit, but it's not a biggest fear of mine. It's there, but it's not there. And I would say, sure, that is not maybe a daily fear for you. But what I want to say is it is the deepest fear. Psychology Today, which is by no means a Christian magazine or website, in fact, a person who wrote this actual statement is himself an atheist. He wrote, the human instinct to survive is the most powerful drive we have. The most powerful drive you and I possess is to maintain breath, to maintain life. How much money do we spend in America to not get old? How much do we give our lives to being busy so we don't actually have to deal with the fact that we're headed towards the grave? This is the power of death over us. It is inevitable. But I promise you, if you began to feel bad, you went to the doctor and he told you you had stage four cancer, what would be your greatest fear? See, we don't think about it. We don't realize the power that it has over us because it's not knocking on our door every day as loud as we think it should be. You don't want to die because it's instinctual. God did not make us to die. God did not intend us to die. So it's just in our nature. It's innate to not want to die. Or you get afraid when death comes running after you. And you begin to question, what is going to happen when I breathe my last breath? Will I go to heaven? Will I cease to exist? Will I become a cow? Will I become another person? Will I be reincarnated? Will I wake up in flaming hellfire? Now all of a sudden, the death, the power of death over us gets a little bit more real. And Jesus came to destroy that 
power. He had to take on humanity to experience death for you and me and to walk out on the other side with a resurrected life saying, all of you who trust in me, when you go into that grave, you will walk out again just like I did. That will free you from the fear and the power of death. Nothing else can actually do that. And so as Christians, we're not like, I don't care about dying. We do care. But we have this deep, inevitable hope that there was one man who is actually the God-man who entered into this world to taste death for each of us, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8, a couple verses before this, so that you and I would never actually experience death. So number one, Jesus came to break that power of death over us. But number two, he came to deliver us from lifelong slavery. It says in verse 15, and to free those. He broke the power of death, and now positively he's freeing us with our lives because we were held in slavery by fear of death. The text states, and I've said it adamantly many times, that we're afraid of death. But it is through our fear of death that the devil actually enslaves us. He is also a power. He holds the power of death over us. And because we are afraid of dying, we are enslaved to his power. If you truly fear death... You are still under the power of the evil one. You are under the power of the devil. It's ironic that we live in fear of death under the power of the, the devil because we were made to rule over the world. We were made to rule over the creation. We were made to never experience death, separation from God, separation from ourselves, from each other, from this world. None of that was ever the intention that God had for us. So that on the next screen, next slide, there's a Jewish book called Wisdom. It is not in the Bible, okay? This is just Jewish literature. Think of like American history, someone writing American history. It's not in the Bible, okay? I know America is not the kingdom of God. We'll deal with that later. But right now, here's just another Jewish person, another Jewish theologian writing. He said, God created man for incorruption, to never die, and made him in his image of his own eternity, but through the devil's envy, death entered the world, and those who belong to his party experience it. Jesus came not to destroy the power of death, but to destroy the one who holds the power of death over you. Jesus, we'll see in a minute, did come for our sin, but he didn't just come to free you from your sins so you can go to heaven. No, he freed you from the power of death because he's freeing you from the one who holds the power of death, the devil himself. Moreover, the presence of this evil one, the devil holding power of death over us, enslaves us, and it causes us to live in anxiety. The definition of the state of minds that reduced us, reduced humankind to this enslavement, to be fear of death, is what God is going to come in the person of Jesus and free us from. And fear is a very powerful feeling. In fact, 
this is like a whole nother emotional health series we'll get into like next year maybe. But do you understand that most of your conflict in your life is because of fear? How much you're afraid of not getting something or not valuing something or not anything coming to you that you want. You live in this fear. And the most often repeated command in Scripture, does anyone know what it is? Fear not. If a lion jumps out at me, I'm going to be afraid. That doesn't mean I've just sinned. Does that make sense? There are real things in this world that we should fear. But what the Bible is saying is to experience that fear is normal. It's what it means to be a human. But when we begin to process it, when we begin to analyze those fears, we should no longer fear. And why? Here's where the writer of Hebrews, I'm going to say, uses an argument from the greater to the lesser. If the advent, the incarnation of Jesus, he took on flesh so that he could, as a human, destroy the power of the devil so that you and I are no longer enslaved to being fearful of him and death, what more is there to be afraid of? Is there anything greater to be afraid of? You're afraid of not getting a job. You're afraid of not getting a spouse. You're afraid of not having children. You're afraid that people aren't going to value. You're not afraid. You're afraid of all these things. And in comparison to what Jesus has freed us from, this is why we don't fear. The greatest enemy has already been dealt with. And trust me, if Jesus took care of the greatest enemy for you, he's going to take care of everything else. Number one, Jesus came as a human to break the power of death. He came to free us from enslavement to death and the devil. But then number three, in verse 17, he came as our merciful and great high priest. In order, he took on humanity, in order that he might become a merciful, faithful high priest in service to God. I'm not sure we understand the idea of priest very well, and I can't do it in the amount of time. But what I would encourage you to do is watch some ancient historic piece. I'm just going to use Vikings. Anyone ever seen Vikings? Okay. Do you understand how many priests they had? The priests in the ancient world? Like, we don't have priests. We don't understand what priests do. But if you look at the history of the world, every culture had priests. Why? Because there were special people who were able to, in their mind, be the mediator, the go-between between God and the world. And ancient Israel was just like all the other cultures. They had priests who would actually mediate between God and the world. And he would go into the altar, sorry, the Holy of Holies every year and offer a sacrifice. And he would be the one who would actually bring a covering for the nation of Israel. What the writer of Hebrews says is those priests had to do it every single year. Those priests could not actually deal with the problem of sin. They could only cover it until a faithful priest would come. In fact, on the next screen, there's a prophecy that's being fulfilled in the person of Jesus. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, it says, God is saying to the nation of Israel, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest. He will act according to what is in my heart, in my mind, and I will build him a sure house. If you're 
need something to do tonight. Read Hebrews chapter 3. And God is giving Jesus a house. This is a picture that Jesus now is the faithful priest who is for once and for all going to deal with the people of sins. But in his priesthood, he is merciful and faithful in his duties. On the next slide, Jesus is merciful, unlike the devil. He does not keep you enslaved by fear, but he continues to shower you with mercies. He is merciful, unlike death, because death will only swallow you up and never give you true life that God will give you. He is faithful, unlike the devil. He does not lie to you, but he will keep every promise he has ever made to you. He is faithful, unlike death. Because just as he walked out of the grave, you and I no longer have to fear death, and he will faithfully raise us to be with him. This is our priest. He brings us to God, and he mediates for God for us, and he is merciful and faithful and always loving you. But as this priest, number four, he came to satisfy the wrath of God. It says in verse 17 that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. This word atonement, there's a big theological word we use called propitiation. I didn't just curse at you. I spoke English. But it's a word called propitiate. The idea is the satisfaction of a wrath. See, because of our sin nature, there is this wrath of God hanging over our head. There is this judgment coming. There is one day when Jesus will come back and he will bring salvation for all of his people and he will make a brand new world and we will dwell with him forever. But there is a second side to this that he will bring judgments. He will bring condemnation to those who do not trust him. And what Jesus came to do is to satisfy the wrath of God for you. <coughs> you see why he had to become human? God couldn't just wipe away your sin. He couldn't just be like, you're forgiven. No, God had to deal with your sin. God had to deal with our sin. And he comes as the one who propitiates, who satisfies the wrath of God for us. What's wrong with this world? It's not the people who are different than you, who believe different than you, who are the evil people. What's wrong with the world is that all of us are enslaved to the power of death, the power of sin, and the power of the devil. And the good news of the incarnation, the good news of Christmas, that he has come to break those powers and to free you from all of those powers and to bring you into right relationship, to bring you into peace and joy and hope. The primary goal of the incarnation of Jesus participating as we are as human was to bring the children of God through the waters of death, out of the enslavement to the tyranny of an evil master, and out of 
the wrath that awaits us. This is what Jesus came for. And I pray that you will consider that tonight. Consider who are the evil people, what's wrong with the world, and consider that you yourself, that I myself, am part of the problem. And yet there's hope. Hope found in the person of Jesus. So God, we thank you that you did send Jesus to break the power, to smash the tyranny of the devil, and to free us from our condemnation of wrath. And so, Jesus, we pray that your spirit would meet with us. And for many of us, Christmas, this message of Christmas may just continue to be repetitive, but I pray that you'll make it real for us tonight, that we would fight Christmas fatigue with joy and hope. We thank you for what you'll do in us and through us. For the sake of your kingdom, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.